Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Selah Fellowship podcast for our Sunday services. Please open your Bibles as we dive into our study this morning. Uh, Today we're going to be in uh, Luke, the Gospel of Luke. We've been going through it on Sundays as Selah Fellowship, and we'll be in chapter 5 tonight. What would it be like if the Lord had a group of people who loved Him? Wholeheartedly, with all of their soul, mind, and strength. I think about that, and what the Lord's pressed on my heart this morning is um, a peace that comes in loving Him. Uh, a part of the equation, if you will. When it, when it comes to loving God, there's a part that that's, can be sometimes difficult. It's trusting. So often, I, I know for myself, and I know for the majority of us in here, maybe there are a few saints that just never have this issue, but trusting Him with your whole life, every move, it's not easy. There's so many uncertainties. There's so many, so many situations that come up. You're just like, really, Lord? Or timing isn't, isn't going as you wish. And it's just like, I've been hurt. I, I've, I've put my trust into things before, and it just keeps... Letting me down at the end of the day. I grew up in the world. I, d- I didn't know church until I was 21 years old. I put my trust in a lot of things. Tried it. And at the end of the day, it just leaves you hanging. And so then all of a sudden, you get wrapped into this relationship with the Lord. And He asks us to trust Him. To look to Him. To, to, to exercise faith because of who He is. And so as we read chapter 5, we've been, uh, for me, as I look at this, the Lord just started pressing on to me His ministry. He's calling some of His disciples in this chapter. He's, he's healing in this chapter. And the Lord just speaks to me, you can trust me. You can trust me. And when you trust me, when you look and know that I love you, I have your best interests in mind, though it, it will be in my timing, it will be in my way, you can trust me. And that births something. It births faith. It's like, yeah. Yeah, I came up with this title. I came up with two. Meg's shaking my head, her head. His trustworthiness births great faith in us. Or, trustworthy, faith birthy. <laughs> That one you'll walk, you'll, that one sticks, so it doesn't make any sense, but it'll at least stick. His trustworthiness builds and births great faith within us. And we're going to see these disciples as they're being called and they're being asked. They have to find themselves trusting, and sometimes they don't. But the ones who are cleansed, man, what faith, what trust, what, what understanding of who this Jesus was. So now for us in our life, may we ask the Lord today to come and to give us what we need to trust Him. Because when we trust Him, when we're just good with Him, when we're okay with how He makes decisions and how He moves, it, grant, it gives us a faith to walk. And, and it's exciting at that point. Faith can be very exciting, but fear can be crippling. And when you don't trust, you fear. You're afraid. You're so uncertain. You don't know. You don't want to make decisions. You don't want to go. You don't want to stay. But when you know He's so good, we can trust. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive into Luke chapter 5. Lord, thank You for this day. Just pray that Your Holy Spirit ministers to all of our hearts, Lord. That we would be a group of people who love You with everything that we have. And, and what You can do with that, we don't, even, we, we don't know. But we know that whatever it is, as even in this chapter amazement would take place. We would look and be amazed. We would be in awe. We would be stunned. So, Lord, may we trust you in such a way that we'd be stunned in our life. Exceedingly and abundantly is what you're after. And that's, that's where we can rest today. In you, who gave everything. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Chapter 5, verse 1, it says, So it was... As the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gesenaret, or the Sea of Galilee. It's much easier to 
to say that word, Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from there and was washing their nets. They had got into the boats. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. And he asked him to put him out from the land. And he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. So Jesus is on the move in his ministry. He's starting to, to speak. He's starting, starting to show. And, and now he's even calling his disciples. He's, he's starting to move. And as you watch Jesus move, this is what I love about the Gospels. We get to see what our Savior was about. We get to take knowledge, uh, knowing and, and reading of what he desired to do. Ultimately, it was reconciliation. His ultimate goal as the Father had sent him was to die for our sins so that we could be reconciled forever. But along the way, what was he doing? What was he about? You know, when, you're, when you have a friend or anyone in life and you follow them long enough, you can see what their intentions are. You can begin to grasp what is on their heart, what is on their mind, how they perceive things, how they go about things. And, and for Jesus, as he calls disciples, as he calls his followers, they were to look for him, to look at him. And say, man, did he just do that? The whole woman at the well thing? You're kidding. Why would he want to do that? Well, Jesus' heart. God's heart. Reconciliation. And so, he's always building towards that. He's always building toward that reconciliation. And what I love here is at this point, the multitudes are in such a place with him that they know he carries a word. They know he has something to say. And it has something to do with God, this, this God that they've always been hearing about. The God of Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob. He's, he's speaking on behalf of this. And, and now they're pressing in and they want to know more. How cool. What a cool heart. And I ask myself, do I have that heart? Lord, am I willing to, to press in to hear your word? Am I willing to, to follow you in such a way where I'm pressing in and I'm hearing your word? Because these, these Israelites were doing just that. And he was standing by the sea, and he saw, and I love the, um, in another gospel, uh, the, 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 the same situation just written by a different person. It said that he saw these people and had compassion, because they had no shepherd and they were sheep. So you just see the Lord's heart. He sees these people, he's broken over them, and they want to hear the word, and he's like, this is what I do. Wow. What a God you can trust. What a God you can trust where you want answers, you need answers, you want to dig deeper, and He's there to provide them. What a God you can trust. I know we experience in life that when you're set out to do something, when you're set out to understand something, and it doesn't give you what you need, it's, it's, it's discouraging. But here we have a Jesus who is seeing a people group who are, are lost, and He's like, I need to feed them, and I'm going to feed them with my word. So he's standing at the lake, and he sees these two boats, and they happen to be the boats of disciples that he calls first, Simon and John. And they see him, and he says, you know, I'm going to get in my boat. Because the whole amphitheater thing, as we know, if you've ever been out on the water, you could literally scream, and you can hear someone all the way across the lake. It's pretty radical what happens there. So Jesus takes advantage of this pulpit opportunity of a boat, which just reminds me, you don't have to be up here to share God's word. You don't have to be anywhere. It's not locked to any one thing. You truly can be moved by the Spirit in such a way that no matter where you are, when there are people who are hurting, where there are people who are in need, the Lord can take you and, and give you that compassion that He has, and you can share His word with those that He brings you. So, don't think you need to be in full-time ministry to share God's word. Don't think you have to be wearing the right suit or the right tie. Don't think you have to speak with eloquent speech. We know that Paul says, I came and I didn't use any of that. I just wanted to share the gospel. So be encouraged that whatever your pulpit is, it's your pulpit that he's given you. Speak boldly because there are hurting and lost people out there and God's bringing those of us who know him and who have a relationship with him and he equips us to, to know his word and his love. He then uses us for that ministry of reconciliation. He starts bringing people into our direction. I was actually speaking with, talking with Jojo the other night, and I remember being in New York City, and I'm as lost as a lost, loster, loser. I'm just, I'm just nowhere to be found when it comes to the Lord. Kind of grew up Catholic, and I'm walking with a group of friends in New York City, and we're having fun. 
And this girl comes up and she says, hey, do any of you know who know Jesus? I'm like, they all look at me because I'm like the Catholic boy in the room. I was like, yeah, I guess I do. And then she starts going off about this youth thing and how they get together and they, they don't do anything that I want to do, but just hang out and play games and talk about Jesus. And I was like, whoa, 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 no. Good with that. Thank you. Going to keep going. But she used it. The Lord had been equipping her, and she was bold, man. I, I, was, I was like, I don't even know if I would be that bold. Coming up to a group of young adults in, in New York City, who knows what kind of backlash you get there. I didn't give her much, but I just am today thinking, wow, what a pulpit she used. Equipped with the word of God, she was. And the Lord led her to me. Amazing. I can't wait to see her in heaven and be like, hey, remember that time? She's like, yeah, you're... <laughs> Praise the Lord. (laughs) So wherever you are and whatever you're doing, as the Lord continues to equip you, speak. Be open. Have compassion as he has had compassion on us. And so he's out there in a boat and says that he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. We can trust him. Verse 4, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon... Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets were breaking. So now Jesus is in the boat and he just had Simon to push out a little further. He gives, he teaches. And then when that's done, he looks at Simon and says, hey, let's go fishing. This was during the day. He says, let's go fishing. Put out, put out your boat. Let's go fishing. And Peter's like, calls him master, which is interesting. It just means that he's a, a supervisor, a boss. So there's some respect there, but in no way, shape, or form is he acknowledging him as God right now. He's just like, okay, I see that you got some authority. You know, you're talking to all these people, and they're listening. I always listen. I'll sit right here listening. I get it. But um, I'm the fisherman. I don't know if you are one. In fact, if I have heard anything about you, you're a carpenter. And I want you to know, we've been toiling all night. We've been out there. We've been giving it our all, and we caught nothing. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But he knew that it wasn't going to be a successful journey. But yet Jesus was asking, set out there, push him out. Let's go fishing, let's drop your nets. And now Peter is put in this position where he has to go, I don't know if you know what you're talking about. This doesn't seem logical. Trust me, I'm a fisherman. It, it is not the right... You've been talking. These waves are rolling right now. Maybe the echoes. The fish aren't going to be caught right now. I know what I'm doing. But he says, Master, I'll, I'll, at your word, I'll go. What, what obedience to this man. Just a respect. Lord, you're asking me to do something crazy. This doesn't even make sense this time. I mean, I understand that, you know, you asked me to do that, and I see that. I see that it makes sense to put your boat out. I get the whole echo thing, the the theater thing. I get it. And that makes sense. I'd do that for you. But this, this is is just not, this is out there. And he, he speaks to my heart, Jordan. We know the end story today. But yet I ask you. And you go, man, that's crazy. That doesn't make any logical sense. Why would I ever put myself in that kind of position? There's no, there's no victory in that. It just seems like I'm going to fail. And you master. Yeah, I get you. You got some authority, but I'm not going to let you come in. But we can trust him. And how important is it that we can trust him in those times? Let me read on just as... Just so we can read, if you've never heard this story before, what happens. And when he had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their, nets were, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. These boats got so heavy with fish, I can't imagine the weight. I'm pretty sure these boats were built to be fishing boats. So they have such an amount of weight of fish that they never thought they were going to catch that Jesus set them out to show them something that they could trust him. That at his word, true life would come from. And so the boat begins to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down 
at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. All of a sudden, reality sinks in deep. Oh man, this just isn't master. This just isn't a boss. There's something more here, something more divine. Some, there's a power here. There's an authority here. He's speaking to the fish. I sing to him and nothing comes from that. This man is literally asking them to jump into the boat. What is this? Lord, depart from me. I can't even stand in your presence, Lord. I can't. And isn't that true in our life? When he says go, and you do, and you're, you're really regretful at the time, you're not sure, you're, you're wavering, but you're going because he, he's got some authority, and you go, and you're just sitting there. And she's like, no way. And all of a sudden, he drops that bomb on you. And all of a sudden, your eyes are awakened and open to what he wanted to do in you, in you and through you. And at that moment, you're like, oh, man. Lord, how do I, why do I keep finding myself here? How do I keep finding myself not trusting you? Why can't I just know? Why can't I just, just be in that faith and be in that obedience from the moment your word moves into my ears? So, be of good courage today. Because he's very patient with us. He's very merciful. He's very long-suffering. But he wants us to move outside of our comfort zone. He wants us to go into a land that we really don't know. And that we look at it and it's just like, no way. This isn't going to work. He wants to bring us there. Why? Because he wants to show us that he's God. In our life today, he wants to show us that he's God. He wants us to be able to sit back as Peter did and say, man, I'm just a man. I have no part in this. I, I, I didn't do this. This must be something else. And he moves on us in that way so that we can continue on in that faith, in being transformed into more likeness of a son, and being used so that others can come to know him. He wants to bring us there to trust him. And so today, if he's asking, if he's knocking on your heart, and he's put you in a position where you're not sure, doesn't make logical sense, this is not lining up. Hey, Noah, would you build me a boat? What is a boat? And by the way, when you start building this boat, people are going to look at you like you're a fool. Because they don't know me. They don't hear me. But I'm asking you to do something that makes no logical sense. But I promise you salvation is near. I promise you there's a purpose. And so he started building a boat. It took him a long time. But when the boat came, so did the rain. And he was probably just like... I'm, Lord, I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you for giving me what I need to build the boat. May we not find ourselves in a place starting to drown because we, wouldn't, we weren't faithful in building the boat. He'll send you a raft. He'll keep you afloat. But how much nicer would have been the boat? That would have been a wild ride if you were just on a raft. <laughs> so we can trust him. If he's asking you, trust him. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be crippled by fear. But look up. He already sent his son to die. He said, what won't I do for you? It's a beautiful relationship. i got to keep moving. Verse 9. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so also were James and Johns and the sons of Zebedee, who were part partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid, for now on you will catch men. So they were just, their mind was blown, even like a, a healthy fear probably came upon them, like this, this, is, this is something else. And he says and looks at them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of this. This is, this is what I'm doing. And what I'm doing all the more, I'm going to make you no longer a fisherman of fish. I'm going to make you a fisherman of men. I'm going to bring you into my profession. I'm going to ask you to come and follow me. I want you to be a part of saving souls. The ministry of reconciliation. You want to know something really cool? He wants that for all of us in here. He wants that for all of us. He wants to give us a power and an authority in the Spirit, knowing that it's Him, to go out into all the world and make disciples. To let Jesus be known. He has, that is our profession in the ministry of reconciliation. We have nothing else. 
as we're here on this side of heaven, if you know him, it's to just grow in that relationship and see how much he loves you. But as he's doing that, to then be bold enough to go and make disciples. He's put that call on all of our lives. He looked at all of us and says, you're no longer just Jordan. You're no longer just doing your thing. No longer. But you're now, I'm inviting you to do my thing. To be a part of winning souls. Has anyone ever experienced that? I know I have. I know I've looked into the face and I've, and even in Africa, you see this person and you see the hurt. You see the hope that they're never going to have. You can't tell this person that their day is going to get better tomorrow because they're still going to drink dirty water tomorrow. But here's what you have. It's the only thing we have. Hope of heaven. Jesus came down and he died so that one day we could all be with him for eternity. And they go, what? I'm like, what did I say? Because I don't want to promise you anything. I got candy, but that I'm leaving soon. They're like, no. That's... Did you just tell me that this will end someday? Yeah. Someday. I don't know when. He knows when. And it won't be here that it ends. It's going to end and begin with him all at the same time. And they're just like, that's a hope that I need. And now they wake up and, and they're, they're good. And I don't know how you can be good. And they're not very good. It's still very much a struggle, as we all know. Though you know Jesus, we struggle with the trust thing. We struggle with the love thing. We struggle with the joy thing, the peace thing, and being content thing. That's real. But at least when the Holy Spirit ministers the heart, says what we have a promised Holy Spirit that will continue to remind us of the hope of heaven, you see a smile come back on their face. Because I'm telling you, there's nothing to smile about over there. You're going to now catch men. And what he does next, I am still wrestling through in my spirit. I understand it. I'm good with it. But it's very difficult at times. Verse 11, it says, So when they brought their boats to the land, they forsook all and followed him. They forsook all and followed him. Jesus comes in. He says, hey, no longer are you going to do you, you're going to do me, but you got to do me this one thing. Everything that you were doing, everything that you count dear to yourself, those are good. I've laid some of those on your heart. I want to fulfill those in you, but you need to let it all go so I can bring it all to you. I want you to have again and again the whole boat experience of knowing that I'm God. I want you to experience faith. I want you to come out and follow me, but I need you to let go. And they just let it go. They just looked at all the fish. They looked at mom and dad. They looked at their friends. They looked at the money-making machine that it was. And they said, I'm going to follow Jesus. Why? Because you just should have seen what he did in that boat. He does that in our life. He, he encourages us with, this is what I want to do. And you're just like, that's amazing. And if you've never experienced that, you need to. And it comes in the relationship with the Lord. He blows our mind with who he is and what he does. But when it comes to that point, hey... Would you forsake everything? In the Greek, it means to a divorce. It is a cutting away. It is a separation. It is no more. I'm, I'm good. And just simply follow. I think of this backpack. And when I first got saved, I was, I was a mess. And I got to go through a program called Ignite, at like nine months after I got saved. And I know nothing of Christianity. I'm trying to go to church, and I'm trying to dig. I, I actually enjoyed the music because it wasn't just what I was used to when it came to church. I was like, this is groovy. This is cool. I like this. And we're singing about this guy that just saved my life. I like that. And I'm no longer just living in my car. That's cool. I like that. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I'm like, I got to go through a Christian school. I was like, Meg, what's a Christian school? What do you do at a Christian school? And she's like, I don't know. What do you think? I was like, well, we can't wear our Nikes. <laughs> literally, literally, she's packing her bag. And I go into her room. Those Nikes, they got to go. We're Christians now. He said, forsake everything. His Nike's got to go. And it's just amazing that at, at, in different seasons of your life, he doesn't ever stop to leave behind yourself. But it's amazing through seasons how that changes. I'm wearing Vans today and Nike socks. I, it's like, I'm back. It's all good. But when you first get saved, yeah, he asks us to, to just start. He just starts this work. It's like that onion peel. And... If it just comes off. It's easy. 
gauges came out. Gauges are okay. I've worn gauges on and off, on and off. But at first, I was like, no, this was, this was a part of the old, man. This is when I rocked out to who knows what. It's got to go. Nikes is because I was fresh and the best, and they got to go. <laughs> Sometimes he, he, he asks you to take those away because they're a distraction. These fish for these men, they were going to be a distraction. The dad, maybe. The friends, maybe. The industry, maybe. Maybe a distraction. Today, Nikes are not a distraction in my life. But there are distractions still. And I had this picture, and I wish I was an artist, because I thought it would be cool to be able to draw something as I spoke about it, but that's not going to happen. But I pictured this, this kid with a backpack on, and he, there's just this trail up this mountain. At the top of the mountain, he's finally got the backpack off, and he's standing with Jesus. But along the way, there's just all of this stuff that he just as I got to this new season. Lord's like, take it out. It's like, I can't reach it. Take the backpack off and take it out. It's too tight. Stop making excuses. Just do what I'm asking. I promise you it leads to life. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I went through all things so that I could comfort you. And you just start taking out. Today, I don't worry about Nikes. That's not my distraction. My distraction are my silly insecurities. My My pride. Different things of the flesh where you start getting that, that, that first onion peel, it comes, man, that skin just like whips off of there. That was easy. Drugs gone. Yeah, gone, 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 gone. Not easy, but worth it. Now you start getting that knife in there because now you got to get the onion. It's no, 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 no. Insecurities are a defense mechanism. I need those. That pride, that makes me stand tall. Okay? And then we know pride comes before the fall and you end up falling anyway. Just let him do the work that he wants. So today, you have a call in your life. You're to be a fisher of men. You're supposed to go after souls. How fun. What a mission. What a profession. What a calling. But what he asks us to do next, to forsake everything and follow. I love Psalm 139. It's a really hard psalm once you get towards the end of it. Search me and know my ways, Lord. If there's any wicked things within me, reveal them to me. That's not an easy prayer to pray. You want to know why? Because he does it. He shows you. It's just like, oh, man. He's like, yeah, this has got to go. But that continues because he's so good. He's such a good father. He's so, so, he's so gentle. Though he's very serious and though he's, he's to the point, he's a gentle father in a way that we can cry out, Abba, Daddy, as he walks us through this life of letting go and becoming new. As we read in the New Testament, the old man goes away and the new one comes on. So we can trust him. He's called us. Maybe we need to let, it go, let go of some things today. But trust him because it's so worth it. Surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, I'm sure they'd say it's worth it. It's worth it. Keep going. It's difficult. Have faith. Keep going. Trust him. Verse 12. And it happened when he was in a certain city. That behold, a man was full of leprosy, saw Jesus, and fell on his faith and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then he put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priests and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses commanded. So now he's walking through a city and a man with leprosy came up. And, and we know that the Jewish traditions, you do not interact with leopard people. You do not touch them. You do not want to be near because it would spread. It would come on to you. And so you, you push them away. But here, this man comes up and what faith? He, I don't know what he's seen to this point. We don't know. We don't know if he's seen Jesus at all. We don't know if he's been marveled and he's seen what Jesus is capable of. We don't know. But what we do know is that he had the faith to say, hey, I'm a broken man with a disease. And I know you can heal me if you're willing. What faith? Because it kind of tags along with, if you're speaking about us today, kind of those things that the Lord shows us that we're supposed to let go of. And sometimes there there are things like diseases or a sin that we never think we're going to be healed of. This thing has been with me too long. It's within, uh, there's no way it's going to be just gone. You, I don't know if you can do, I know you can do a lot of things, Lord, but I'm not sure if you can do that. This one is just who I am. How often have we said that? 
And he breaks his heart. He says, no, new, new, no longer new. I see you as I see my son, new. It's perfect. I'm going to finish the work that I started. So today you can trust him with that one that you just don't know it isn't going away. You've been praying. You've been struggling for it. You've been, you've been working at it. You, you're trying. You're, you're asking Him, please, Lord, just take it away. Take it away. Lord, why won't you take it away? It would be so much easier if you just took this away. And in His timing, He's perfect. I don't know how it happens. I don't sit up there in a board meeting with God and talk about people's leprosy. As to, yeah, I think one month from now, pull the trigger. It'd be good. No. God works in his own clock, in his own way. And it's so that he can be glorified and continue to show us in the world that he's God. And so we can trust that one. What if one day, as I continue to pray about these insecurities, as I continue to pray about the fear that cripples at times, or what about the issues that are swept under the carpet that you don't like talking about? That the ones that at church you don't even talk about? What about those ones? I won't mention them for the sake of not mentioning them, but you know what I'm saying. The ones that you don't want anybody to know about, and you've just been struggling in a closet by yourself, and you're alone. But He's with you. He says, surrender it to me. And if you have the faith to go, Lord, would you, would you, would you? I know for me in my life, one day, one day at a time, He's able. He wants to. But it does require faith, and it does require a fight. And this man fought to get to Jesus. And, and even in the next scene, another man fights to get to Jesus because they want to be moved by Jesus. Today, we have to want it. So many times, we, in our leprosy, in our disease, in our things that hold us back, we stop fighting because we actually want to hold on to Him. I remember asking someone, why does this keep happening? And I said, because you're not done with it. And it was a shot to my heart. And I'm just like, that's not true. And the Lord's like, Psalm 139, look at the mirror. You want me to show you? Show me, Lord. It's true. You're not done. And the Lord says, you're going to want to be done today. Why? Because it's creating devastation and death and separation and division. Would you be willing to surrender at my cross today? Would we? We should. He said he came to die for it. It's a beautiful thing. He says, I am willing. What an amazing thing. I am willing. And it says in Mark and in, in the other gospel of this story that he had compassion on this man. Another time he had compassion. He saw him, I am willing. Be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him. Boom. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priests and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses Commanded, And you can find that in Leviticus 14, that this is how the leopard, if clean, was to go about it. But he, as we, if we read in a different gospel, he went and shared. He went and told. He wasn't just quiet. He went and shared the story. And in verse 15, it says, However, the report went around, around, uh, around concerning him all the more. And great multitudes came together to hear. And he and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. So the word got out, and people, I mean, it's a beautiful thing. He, he commanded him not to, and he wasn't so obedient, but in the Lord's sovereignty, he's using it for his good, because now others are coming, and they're, they're confessing, and they're wanting to be healed. They want a relationship. They want to know this healing power. They want to be cleansed. They want to be set free. And it's amazing how the Lord when you're put to such work, when you're asked to, to really, when, you, when you're in the four, the four lines of the battle, when you're really doing the work of the Lord, going out and catching men, and you're busy about your father's business, here is what he's showing us of how important it is to get alone often and pray. So when you're in it, when you're in it, and we all are in it because we're here, when you're in it, remember that it's not you fighting but it's so important to go back and to get reignited and have that communication and that communion with the one who's given you what you need to keep going. Even Jesus had to go and pray and be with the Father so that he could continue on. Verse 17. Now it happened on a certain day 
as he was teaching, there, was, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by, who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. So we're on a day, and he's, he's in a home, and he's teaching, and he knows that there's Pharisees around and teachers of the law. They're sitting by and they're listening because they're, they're intrigued, they're a little mad, they're, they're a little sad, and, and here now we have this power that's present to heal them. The power of healing is, is upon Jesus. In verse 18 it says, Then behold, men brought a bed, um, uh, on a bed a man who was paralyzed whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up to the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst of before Jesus. That's faith. I don't care. Like, forget, don't forget, but put the spiritual side of it on the aside and just talk about a man being dropped through tiles down through a roof. Uh, we're not sure how he's paralyzed from the waist down, from the neck down. I don't. That must have been a scary ride to get lowered down on a bed. But the faith that they had, the willingness to go. It's a hard thing to hear. It's a hard thing to say. I'm just. I'm, I'm feeling right now like that's not easy when we're when we're paralyzed in any way when we're struggling in any way, and you go, and you remember, you know those times when you're, you know, you, you want to go to the Lord and He's not answering right away? Maybe there's crowds in the way? There's, there's something blocking, and it's just like, Lord, I'm not getting all the way through to you. I'm not having that with you. What's go- Are we willing to go above and beyond to get to Him? Do we, do we understand His love to the degree that we are going to go no matter what? If, if there are too many people in the way, if there's no people in the way, I need to go because it's where I find life. Jesus is life. And they did everything that they could to get, even with a paralyzed man on a bed, removed tiles or the cap of a roof and dropped him down so that Jesus could be with him, so that he could see Jesus and Jesus could see him. In verse 20 it says, When he saw their faith, he said to the men, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Interesting. Here they are wanting to receive some physical relief, and he's hitting a, a, a very spiritual issue. And a very, all of these Jews understand the spiritual issue, the, the issue that sins truly separate them from God, and sacrifices need to be made so that atonement can take place. And here, without any sacrifice in in sight, this man is saying to these Jews with these Pharisees and these teachers of the law who know that sacrifice needs to be in place, he's saying your sins are forgiven. This is like, where's the smoke? Maybe the rooftop came off, but that's not smoke. And, they're, and we can see what they say next. It says, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can for sin, forgive sins but God alone? And so in their heart, they said, this doesn't line up. This doesn't make sense. How does this man think he can just forgive man's sin? I understand he, he's doing the whole healing thing. Why didn't he just heal? Well, we would have had a problem with that too, because I don't see how that's possible. But he, he chose to forgive their sins. In verse 22, it says, But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. The first thing that pops out to me is authority. In the, in the ESV translation, it says that he's, the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. So he's saying, I know you don't believe me that I can forgive sins, and you think it's blasphemy that I would even allow that to come out of my mouth. But I also know that you don't believe that this man would be healed if I say it. But I want you to know, if I heal him, I also can forgive him of his sins, because I am the true and living God. And see, he goes forward with it. He says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He says to the man who is paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. 
power and authority from heaven. And this builds into the case of why we can trust him. This simply adds to why we can trust him. is because the power and authority of which he stands on. It says that he was, he was risen from the dead and he seats at the right hand of God and all things are under him. That's a good thing for you and me. Because we're still with the things that are under him. We still battle face to face the things that are under him. But how amazing is it that he has his feet on him. He stands over them in power and in control. So that when we're going through it, when we're, when we're getting distracted and these, and these situations keep coming up that are difficult, that person said a mean thing to me. I don't like the food that she's making me. That's not talking about Megan myself. It just could be something that throws off your day and is a distraction. Maybe not. Maybe everyone enjoys their food in here. That's a good thing. No laughter this morning. That's, that's not a good thing. <laughs> but how cool that we can look on and see that he has a power and authority that is for us. He's showing these men, I can and I will and I did. And I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Verse 25, immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on and departed to his own house, glorifying God. I love that he went to his own house. I just get this picture of a man who's finally set free and he gets to go and enjoy all of the things that he might have not got to enjoy. Maybe he had some family members back at the house and he walks in glorifying God. What a cool scene. God wants us to experience that when we are set free, when we are healed, we get to go back. We get to go into the things that that we've always appreciated and loved and always had a heart for. And we get to now do it to our fullest extent, to our fullest potential that he sets for us. He does redeem the days of the locusts that eat away. I look back on my life and I'm like, man, you can't make up for that. As I didn't do that for you. I, I did that for me. And then what he wants to do is when he makes that healing, when he makes that connection with us and, the whole, and, and Jesus, when he gives us that relationship, he now gets to set us on fire to go back and to redeem. He wants us to go back. Maybe not fully. Maybe in his own time. But he, he would have us go to where we can say, man, I am so glad I can be here doing everything that I can because he's healed me and set me free. Glory to God. It's just a cool scene. Verse 26, it says, And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. And I love this, because this is what God is after. He's not after it for us. We get to partake in His glory. But it's for His glory. He doesn't move in our lives so that we can benefit from them. He does things in our lives so that He can continue in the work that He has in His ministry of reconciliation. When he did this, it benefited the man that he was able to go home and walk around. But he also did it because all were amazed and they glorified God and they were filled with fear saying, we have seen strange things or amazing things here today. So as we're called out and we're, and we're, and we're now fishers of men and we're going after these souls and we're, we're, we're being built into him and we're learning and we're growing and we're changing, being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And then we're starting to put to our feet to the faith. And we're starting to reach out and to be willing to see others come to know him. God will be glorified. That's what he wants. He wants the world to know that he's God. It says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. It will happen someday. But the reason why he's after us in such a way is for his glory. And that's... That's good because when it becomes our glory, we know what happens. We get prideful. We start getting a little pep in our step and it it quickly goes the wrong way because it's starting to go about us. Verse 27. After these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi or Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he left all, rose up and followed him. I love this. He didn't have to go out into a boat. And again, we don't know how much Levi or Matthew has seen of Jesus up until this point. But he simply had to come to him and say, follow me. And it says in verse 28 that he left all of his things. He rose up and he followed him. What did he see in Jesus that was so different? 
I mean, he was so willing to sit there day in and day out to do his work. But something happened in this moment that Jesus displayed himself in such a way that he was just like, you want me to follow you? Yeah, I'm leaving everything and I'm coming. What was it that was so different? And it begs the question, what are we doing so different that would encourage someone else to rise up and leave everything and follow? And I see that being the challenge. We have an opportunity to to be like our Savior, to be someone different. Something had to be different here for him to just be able to leave everything, rise up and follow. And so where are we in our own lives taking after that likeness of Jesus? And as we walk and we interact with people, they see something different. Because if you're still in and of this world, it's going to be difficult for them to see a difference. When I studied in Exodus 33 on Wednesday, Moses was asking God, please don't, please come with us. You have to come with us. If you don't come with us and we just go as a people, we're just another group of people traveling, living in a land. But if you come with us, it will separate us and show us and show the world that we are with you and you are with us. And so what are we doing today in trusting him and in following him? in learning about Him, and growing through things, and transforming our lives, that when we come across someone in the dark, they see a light, and they're tired of darkness, and they want to be encouraged and moved. I know someone's done that for me. I know I looked on and said, this is not the world. There is something different about this place. I don't know why they're smiling at me. It's a little creepy, but I love it. I'm so thankful that someone's looking at me, not just like another piece of garbage on the side of the road, but there's, they, they want me to be helped. They want to help me. They're coming to me. I'm, it's the Samaritan going over and helping. It's Jesus' heart. So be open. What are we doing different that we might encourage others to come? Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house, and there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with him. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, What do you eat and drink with tax? Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, To those who all to those who are well have no need of of a physician, but those who are sick, I do not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. That's a good thing for us because at the end of the day, we really are all sinners falling short of the glory of God. And when he came, and this is something we can also put our trust in, is that he calls us. He calls us into repentance so that we might experience life. And that builds into the trust that we can have for him. We don't have to have it all together. He didn't come for the righteous. He didn't come for the perfect. He didn't come for those who are performing with A's. But he came to those who were broken in need of a Savior. And that's all of us, which is a really good thing. Verse 33, it says, And then they said to him, Why do the disciples of John fast and often make prayers? And likewise, those of the Pharisees, but yours do not drink. They're asking him, why, we see disciples of John, they fast a lot. Even for us and the Pharisees, we fast a lot. But all of your disciples are eating and drinking and having fun. What's going on with that? Why don't you be religious with us? Why don't, why don't you see the truth behind why we fast? And he responds to that and he said to them, Can you make the friends of a bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. He gives this illustration of, of a bridegroom. Because in, in this culture, this, weddings were a week-long wedding. We just went to a wedding. I've never been in and out of a wedding so quickly. And it had to happen because it was up in Canada and it was snowing. So it had to be a very quick wedding. It was outside snowing. Make it quick, please. It was great. It was very fast. The pastor said he took his eight, eight pages of notes and made it one. I was like, you're a good man. <laughs> but nonetheless, because of the ceremony that was taking place, there was a joy. There was a happiness. There was merry. There was eating and drinking. It was a good thing. And these Pharisees are like, why are you not, why are you basically asking, why are you guys so happy? He said, because he's here. The bridegroom is here. The celebration is now. He's come. He's here. And we get to be happy. We get to be joyful. And I love that because it also builds onto the case of why we can trust him is because he presents us with this amazing opportunity to be joyful, to be happy. And not happy because you get what you want, but good because you know who he is. And I'm just curious, when did it stop being about the bridegroom and became about the bride? I don't know. Our culture has switched things up. 36. 
And he spoke with a parable to them. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new, one, the new makes a tear. It's because it needs to shrink. And so if you sew a new piece of material on an old one, it shrinks and tears the old one. And also the piece that was taken from the new one does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst in the wineskins and be spilled. And the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. So he's now giving this other parable, and this is where we're wrapping up. He's saying, you're all looking for the old. You're all looking at me to come and to rectify what is here, to bring life into what you guys have been doing for so long. But I'm telling you, I'm coming here to, to fulfill it and to make new. And that's good for us. Because if we had to go with them in this oldness into the old ways, we would be very grumpy people because of the, the labor that would have to work for that grace. But right now, we get this grace, the new wineskin that we have as believers, is that the, the, He has come, the grace has come, the love has come. And now we are compelled to good works and to do. No longer needing to work for the grace, but the grace gives us this awesome burden of going out and working. So today, as I've spent time with this, the Lord has encouraged me that I can trust Him. That I can get out of here and go out and trust that whatever it is in front of me, it's going to be good. It's new. I no longer have to attach myself to old things. And when things start to become old and, and dead, He makes things alive again. And that's so good. Because how often do we find ourselves just keep going through the, the, the rituals and keep going through one day at a time. And we're always waiting for Saturday and Sunday. And then when Monday comes, it's like, oh, you've got to be kidding. It becomes old. It becomes weary. But when you stay in Him, when you remain in Him, it's always new. Because His new covenant is, is perfect and good for us. It's the love that He has for us. And He's going to usher us into heaven someday. I'm going to read one verse. Colossians 3, chapter 3, verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on things on earth, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear in His glory. No longer, no longer be a part of the old. No longer associate yourself, but take hold of the calling that He's placed on all of our lives and experience that faith and that trust and that hope and that love and watch Him be God. And that's what He's laid on my heart. Will I, would I be willing to trust You, Lord, to experience life? The old has passed away. The new is so good. Amen? Amen. Thank you for joining us as we studied the Word this morning. If you would like more information about Sela Fellowship, please visit us on the web at salafellowship.org. While you are there, feel free to check out some of our other messages and past book studies. Thank you again, and God bless.